0: Our brains have specific areas responsible for oral language and speech, Mm -hmm. but there are no specific areas designated to reading.
1: Wow. Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here. So let's settle in. Hi everyone, welcome back to Medium Lady Talks. We are back with Brianna Guild, here today to talk more about Brianna's expertise as a speech and language pathologist with specific expertise in literacy. We talked so much in the last episode about Brianna's journey as an SLP and Brianna's fantastic approach to her journey to step into the place in the world that was made for her. If you have not yet heard that episode, pause right now, go into the show notes, find that previous episode. It'll be the one just before this one. Brianna, I'm so excited to dive into part two of this conversation. Thanks for having me back to continue this (laughs) discussion. Now, in all honesty, Brianna and I were chatting and chatting and I said, Brianna, we're at the 45 minute mark and we still have a lot to talk about. What should we do? So we're really, really happy to be able to offer you part two of this conversation, which is going to focus all about reading. So, Brianna, you know. You you are um, a wonderful supporter of the Medium Lady community, a wonderful member of the Medium Lady community. You know that a lot of our listeners love reading. I know you love reading. We've talked about books quite a lot off and on in our DMs. So let's transition to t- kind of chat a little bit more about learning how to read. We've sort of started a bit of, of part one of this conversation about, you know, how you learned to read as a kid, how I learned to read as a kid, and how my son Henry learned how to read as a kid. But I'd love for you to break down a little bit for the people listening a lot of my content is geared towards mothers and millennial mothers, especially people my age who have kids who are learning how to read or who might be in early literacy. I have kids who are three, seven, and 10. They're all at varying degrees of their learn to read journey. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about kind of the basics and fundamentals of learning how to read? You know, it's kind of a daunting and scary thing as a parent, because you sort of feel like hopefully school will help them with that. But if, if they don't, or if there's issues, or if there's a challenge, then that's going to be on me as a parent and not being able to read in this digital age is kind of not an option.
0: Mm -hmm. So in the previous episode, we talked about my journey with struggling, learning how to read in school. And unfortunately, My experience is not an uncommon one. This is something that a lot of kids experience. And in fact, my struggle was nothing compared to what some other children are facing, especially children with dyslexia and other reading or learning disorders. Now, have you heard of this other podcast, Sold a Story? No. Okay, you should definitely listen to Sold a Story. Here's the synopsis from their website to give you an idea of what's it about. There's an idea about how children learn to read that's held sway in schools for more than a generation, even though it was proven wrong by cognitive scientists decades ago. Teaching methods based on this idea can make it harder for children to learn how to read. In this podcast, host Emily Hanford investigates the influential authors who promote this idea and the company that sells their work. It's an expose of how educators came to believe in something that isn't true and are now reckoning with the consequences. Children harmed, money wasted, an education system abended. No. So if you like
1: exposés, it's a reading conspiracy? <laughs> I got chills. I I'm not much of a like true crime podcaster, but I think you hooked all the people who like their murder podcasts that just hop into the conspiracy adjacent so it's not a conspiracy not a conspiracy no no sorry but like a collusion of people who had intentions of promoting something that wasn't based in science right yes yeah 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 not conspiracy sorry that was you're right the wrong word but it is
0: very it does have like that crime vibe to it like the (laughs) crime podcast vibe okay we'll link it in the show notes yeah sold the story It is based out of the United States, but from what I experienced growing up, learning how to read in the late 1990s, early 2000s in Canada, talking to Canadian teachers, um, Canadian schools have a very similar history with reading instruction. So essentially around the 1990s, the balanced literacy approach took over schools. Balanced literacy includes using leveled books and the three queuing system to teach reading. This is where you're taught to look at the picture, the first letter in the word, and think about what word makes sense in the sentence. So those are the three cues. The picture, the first letter, and then what makes sense. And that's how you're supposedly learning how to read. But if you think about it, that's guessing. Yeah. That's not reading. Now, recently in Ontario, there's been a big move away from balanced literacy. The new Ontario language curriculum was actually released just this June, 2023. And it comes into effect in September, 2023 for the new school year.
1: Wow. Have you heard about it yet? You might not have. No, but I'm also thinking, how would I have heard about it? I'm not a literacy person. I'm not a teacher. Right. I'm a parent. And I think that I'm sort of like raising my eyebrows a little bit thinking like, how do I get information about when the curriculum changes? But go ahead. I'm riveted. I, I'm fascinated to learn more.
0: Great question. I, so I don't work in the schools as a private practice SLP. So what a great question. How would just the average parent know that this change is coming for September? I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, the good news is you can look up this full curriculum. It's available online for anyone to read through. If you search Ontario language curriculum, it will show up and maybe check in with your child's school in September and ask about it. If you have any questions.
1: Wow. Great, great tips. Thank you.
0: So this new curriculum is moving away from that balanced literacy approach, thankfully and is instead aligned with the current science of reading research. Now, that being said, the schools will need funding and the teachers will need training to put this new curriculum into effect. I think that's important to say. And as a private practice SLP, I don't work in the public schools, so I can't speak to all of the steps that we're still going to need to take to make this curriculum an effective change. But as a professional who works with clients with dyslexia and other learning disorders, I was working with these clients who were being let down and left behind by this previous curriculum Mm. because they weren't learning how to read in school. Mm -hmm. Like you said, parents were sending them to school, hoping they would learn how to read and they weren't. And they had to call in help me, private practice, SLP, who knows about structured literacy instruction to teach their kids how to read. So I'm hoping that this new curriculum is at least a step in the right direction. And like I said, full curriculum is available for anyone to read through online. Personally, I'm going to be referring to it to help set goals for my clients and support them with meeting those new grade level expectations at school.
1: Can I ask you a question? I'm assuming you've read it or you will read it. How readable is it?
0: Uh, So good question, because... I do have experience with reading all of those terms, all those literacy lingo. So I guess if you're interested, try. And if you have questions, ask. And if you have questions, you can also ask me. You can send me a DM at slp.literacy.corner. Honestly, I'm happy to try to help. And if I don't know the answer, maybe I can at least point you in the right direction because... I don't know how approachable it is for the average person because I am someone who has more literacy experience. I get it when I read it, but other people definitely might not.
1: I'm just thinking you also mentioned something about the science of reading. How do we study the science of reading? It seems like a really challenging cognitive task that would not extrapolate well to scientific method.
0: Okay, so... When I say the science of reading, good question, that refers to the collection of research from multiple disciplines. So it includes psychology, neuroscience, education, all these different disciplines that have done research that provide scientific evidence for how children learn to read and write and how to best support literacy development for all readers. The key word there being all. This research has provided insights into how we all learn to read, not just people with dyslexia or other learning disorders, Mm. but the human brain in general, how it learns to read. Wow. So what this evidence is showing is that we need to use a structured literacy approach or structured literacy instruction. And this teaches literacy skills through systematic and explicit instruction and incorporates a systematic review of taught skills. So we aren't just assuming that kids are going to figure out how to read. Mm. We're teaching them explicitly, and that might include teaching specifically what sound corresponds to what letter, how we represent each sound using letters, and patterns like those silent E's, or the fact that we use T-C-H, at the end of a word after a short vowel to make that ch sound. So think of words like hatch mm-hmm. or catch. We're using that TCH because the ch sound is coming after a short vowel at the end of a word. So a lot of people say that English is super random and that our spelling's really weird, but a lot of it can be explained by rules and also the fact that we borrow a lot from other languages as well. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a lot that we can teach specifically and systematically to help kids really understand. So it's not just guessing or memorization or
1: I don't know why we spell it that way. We just do figure it out. Like it's taught explicitly. One of the incredible things that you do is you have really helped me appreciate where language does kids dirty and where things are made more accessible or can be made more accessible. One of the things that I never really realized was as accessible as it is, is Pokemon. And I know you're a huge fan of Pokemon and using Pokemon to help kids learn how to read. Love Pokemon. The sounds and the letter combinations of the Pokemon names are for the most part, they follow the rules. To what I can like most often understand, but you're giving me like a maybe not so much. You maybe have a more encyclopedic knowledge of the Pokemon. My son William learned to read because of Pokemon cards. He was desperate to know the fine print of each card and what each power of the Pokemon was and how many points and how much damage and what type Pokemon this is. And we just got to the point where we were like, William, like, we can't we can't read them anymore. And he would just like, I think he learned sort of through the memorization of what had been on the other cards. And he really studied the cards. He was so obsessed with the source material that he couldn't live without learning how to read it. And I think he was probably around six or seven when it really and then that started to extrapolate to other being able to read other things.
0: So... Why I use Pokemon, that kind of leads to this. William presents a really good example here. He was interested in it. Yeah. He was motivated by it. So a lot of the kids who I see, they're struggling to learn how to read. It's hard. But if we can use something that's interesting to them. So this is me trying to just incorporate my client's interests. And it's something that I can also use and speak to really well because I love Pokemon so much. So we are using Pokemon to specifically, I I will look up Pokemon that have the phonics patterns or the phonics rules that we're learning. Ah. So if we're learning about Silent E, I'll find Pokemon that have Silent E and we'll practice reading those Pokemon names. So it's the skill that we're working on in our structured lessons. But then I'm also incorporating some material that's really motivating and engaging for them. And it's not just like, boring reading silent E word lists and decodable (laughs) passages that they might not be interested in. But it's incorporating something that like, like you said, William wanted to know how to read these names and how to read their attacks and their Pokedex entries. So by incorporating that into my lessons, I hope to get my students more engaged. And I don't just use Pokemon. I'll use things that my clients are interested in, but that's definitely a popular one and one that I can speak to a lot. So I love (laughs) when we do use it.
1: Um, How much does it matter that kids understand I'm learning silent E? Because you've said silent E and a short vowel use those two references. Once I learn to read, Brianna, am I going to care that I'm reading a silent E? How important is it for that to translate into the reading experience?
0: Okay, I'm trying to decide how much detail to go in
1: (laughs) because I don't want to overwhelm people. So here, I'll give it from a parent's perspective. So as a mother, I feel like Mm -hmm. I would feel like I might have to learn what a short vowel is. I might have to learn what a silent E is because I learned maybe from the balanced reading approach or I perhaps learned just through like exposure and my parents reading to me. um, Maybe I had like the right gene genetic phenotype to be able to read, you know, I don't know. I mean, who even knows, right? Like, I think it's just, like, memorization or whatever it may be. I didn't learn to read knowing what a silent E is. So that's maybe where I'm asking is, like, how much does that help? How much does that play into when you're supporting literacy to get your clients to understand what we're doing today is silent E.
0: I think it's very important. That's my perspective. Okay. So our brains like to naturally group and categorize things. Mm. And in English, we have six major syllable types. Closed syllables, that's where we have a short vowel sound. Open, so there's a vowel at the end of the word making a long sound. No would be example. The O's at the end making a long sound, that's open. Silent E, when there's the E at the end, it makes the other vowel say it's long sound. R-controlled, vowel teams, and stable final. So there's there's six kind of big groups that are syllable types. When I say syllable types, a syllable is a word or a part of a word that has one vowel sound. Mm-hmm. And our, our brain, when we can use these six buckets, and I can teach you those different rules, like I said... T-C-H we use at the end of a word after a short vowel sound. There's a bunch of other rules that fall in that category as well. So instead of me just kind of randomly teaching you these rules, I can say, okay, today we're working on this closed syllable spelling rule bucket. And in that bucket, here's our different rules so that it's kind of nicely organized. And then we'll move on to the next bucket when we're done learning all of those rules. I'm a big fan of using flowcharts and visuals and anything that's going to help my clients really see and understand what we're doing. Part of it might be because I'm somebody who needs to know that why and make sense of things. Mm -hmm. But the, the big thing here with explicit instruction like this, there's this really great saying that this structured literacy instruction is crucial for some, such as those with dyslexia. It's helpful for all and it's harmful for none. Nobody gets left behind. Right. Nobody is going to be hindered by learning these specific rules. Yeah. And a lot of people do pick up naturally. Like I imagine you use TCH versus just a CH correctly all the time. And I bet your reason is that it looks right or it feels right or you yeah. just know it. Yeah. But you pro- did you know before today that we use TCH at the end of a word after a short vowel sound? No, (laughs) but you know how to use it. So you're right. Every single person doesn't need to know all of these rules, but it is going to help the majority of people learn how to read. We're not going to miss those kids with dyslexia or those kids like me who needed some of this explicit instruction. And I didn't get it in school. And honestly, now that I've learned all of these rules, my spelling and reading has improved.
1: (laughs) I love that. I mean, let's say that again, crucial for some, helpful for all and harmful for none. Like what a great sort of like sense of guiding principles to, you know, I mean, even if I think about like what I'm trying to do on Medium Lady is like to live with more intentionality is going to be crucial for some. Living with more intentionality is going to be helpful for most people and living with intentionality is going to be harmful for no one. So I love that. I love that so much. That's like a really great kind of guiding principle and finding and distributing it to as many people as possible, recognizing that the crucial, helpful, harmful buckets are going to, um, I mean, harmful buckets should hopefully be empty, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I love that. I think that how do you talk to parents who perhaps feel daunted because they don't know what you know and they really want to help their kids? I try
0: to meet my parents with where they're at and how much information they can really handle. Like Mm. everyone's situation, especially during the pandemic and since Mm. then all the time, everyone's situation is so different, so unique. So I really try to just support them the best way that I can. And when I do give home practice, I'm always careful to work within that family's means and what they can do that week. And I have a lot of parents who do send me emails like about spelling tests and they're like, is there a rule for this? And I'll always respond and tell them what the rule is because we, our brains don't learn by memorization. We do learn to read by sounding out and mapping those sounds to the letters and the letters to the sounds. So that's how we want to teach kids how to read. We don't want memorization of words and memorization of spelling lists That's actually often how people with dyslexia get by is they memorize visually all these words, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. but
0: our brain can't memorize all of these different words, right? It's not a visual process. Like think about how many different fonts there are. If we were memorizing words based on what they looked like, then every single font would be a different thing we would have to memorize, but we're definitely learning to read by attaching sounds and letters, because we can read any word in any font. It doesn't matter what it looks like visually, we are sounding it out.
1: I've never thought of that. I've never thought of that. I do think that, you know, if you want to akin, I think we akin like learning to read as sort of one of these like childhood milestones, you're going to learn to read, you're going to learn to write, You're going to tie your shoes, you're going to dress yourself, you're going to be potty trained, and you're going to ride a bike or one, like, you know, those sort of like handful of child things, childhood things. And a lot of those, Brianna, I can teach because I remember how I learned it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to reading, if I read, you know, the show notes or the sort of interview structure, the interview script that we've come up with, I actually, I have a really hard time thinking about how do I know that I'm reading the word most? How do I know that I'm reading the word speech language pathologist? I don't know. I'm just doing it. So I think as a parent, sometimes it feels scary to to help your kids learn how to read because, in fact, cognitively, once my brain figured out how to do it, I just started taking it for granted, especially after 30 plus years of reading.
0: So, So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how the brain learns how to read. So for decades now, the research on reading has shown that we need to explicitly teach children letter sound correspondences in order to sound out the words to learn how to read. So letter sound correspondences, that's the fancy way of saying the relationship between the sound and the letter, tying the sound and the letter together, like I was mentioning before.
1: That's like my Henry story with the cull and the ver. Yes,
0: he was tying together. That's that alphabetic principle we mentioned. Yes. The relationship between the sounds and letters. And we need to explicitly teach this because the human brain was not designed to read. Mm. Our brains have specific areas responsible for oral language and speech, Mm -hmm. but there are no specific areas designated to reading. Wow. Basically, we are not naturally wired to learn to read like we are to develop oral language. And you said, "Wow, you're, this has definitely not crossed your mind." But but think about it for a second. It makes sense, does it? <laughs> if you think about the fact, if you think about the fact that humans have been using oral communication for the vast majority of our existence. That's true. And we've only been using written communication for about 5,000 years. That's the estimates. Just 5,000. So, but really, when you think about the grand scheme of human history...
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: We haven't been reading and writing for that long. And oral communication developed first. We were speaking first, and then we made up these seemingly random lines that corresponded to when I say, K, that's going to be a letter K or a letter C. When I say, B, that'll be the letter B. We were converting our oral communication, our speech to a written form so that we could pass it on. Wow. So our brains have to do a lot of work to learn how to read, right? because we don't have a specific reading area. Several areas in the brain must learn to work together to accomplish the task of reading. We have to learn that when we hear a word, for example, bat, that word is represented by the letters B, A, T. And that could mean the animal bat or the baseball bat. So to learn to read, we have to tie together our knowledge of sounds, spelling, and semantics or meaning. There's a lot going on.
1: Oh my gosh, it's it's a wonder that anybody figures it out.
0: Yeah, this is why that structured literacy intervention or instruction is so important, that explicit and systematic teaching, because it is a wonder that anyone that that many people can figure it out to varying degrees.
1: Amazing. I mean, I just like have been taking it for granted for my whole life I had no idea that there was no specific part of the brain that lights up when you read. I'm curious about writing then. As a literacy expert and someone who uses speech language pathology to engage your clients with literacy, when or how does that transition or support the act of writing or the need to write or and I mean writing in and of itself is really dynamic and fluid because you could be typing you could be texting, you could be writing by hand. How does that like knowledge of language and that processing of reading, because you said, first we spoke, then we wrote down what we were trying to say, and then we had to read it. So writing, I guess, is comes comes sort of in between those two mediums. So first of all, I
0: wouldn't consider myself a literacy expert. I definitely still have a lot of learning to do. And case in point, because I don't have an immediate Response to your question. I'm sure that there's research that's been done. Um, I guess my best answer for now would be reading is decoding. You have letters on a page and you have to know what sound each of those letters represents so you can sound the word out. Spelling we call encoding. Mm. So you know the sound that you want to write. And you have to know what letter to use to represent that sound. So in some ways, they're considered reciprocal. Yeah. One's going letter to sound, one's going sound to letter, if that makes sense.
1: And you said that knowing the structure can improve your spelling, has improved your spelling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So learning the different spelling rules helps for both sounding the word out because now I know if I see that TCH, I'm not going to pronounce that T sound. And then if I'm spelling a word like hatch, okay, that's H that's a, and then I've got a TCH after a short vowel. So or a Ch sound after a short vowel. So that'll be a, a TCH. So it does learning those
1: those spelling patterns does help with both our reading and our writing. So, if I were trying to help my kids spell the word hatch, I would probably say atch. I, I would be doing it wrong.
0: <laughs> well, now you'll know. You can just teach them that at the end of a word,
1: after a short vowel sound, we use that TCH. The T is silent. And then they're going to say, What's a short vowel? And I'm going to say, I can't remember. Go listen to this episode of Medium. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say DM Brianna and tell her mommy can't remember.
0: (laughs) I'd be happy to answer.
1: Oh, I know you would. I know you would. That's wonderful.
0: Circling back here to some of this research, a couple of the other things I just wanted to mention were that we do have some well-cited reading theories like the simple view of reading and Scarborough's reading rope. If anyone's interested more in these theories of how we learn to read, those are great to look up. And these explain that we need word recognition and language comprehension skills in order to become skilled readers and achieve reading comprehension. Mm. So we kind of look at it like a simple math equation where word recognition times language comprehension equals reading comprehension or that skilled reading. So In a multiplication equation like that, if either one of those is a zero, Mm -hmm. then you get a zero at the end, right? You don't achieve reading comprehension. If your word recognition is zero, if you cannot decode the word, you can't read the word, but it is in your oral vocabulary. If someone were to tell you that word said hatch and you're like, oh, I know hatch, like when a chick hatches out of an egg, but you couldn't sound it out. So you're not going to comprehend what you're reading. Right. And then if you could sound that word out, but you don't have the language comprehension piece, you've never heard that word before, you don't know what it means, then you're not going to be able to understand what you're reading.
1: And so the interventions come with both language comprehension and word recognition. Sorry, what was the first one? Yeah, you're good. Word recognition. So I guess then that also changes the modality for patients, patients, For clients who might be non-native English speakers, we might have to work on the language recognition piece. Yep. Wow.
0: So there's a lot involved with components of literacy. Different research articles cite different variations of kind of five big components being phonics. So those spelling rules, spelling patterns, like short vowel sounds and silent E's that we've been mentioning So we've got phonics, we've got phonological awareness, which is the the sound awareness. So rhyming is a really common one people know that would fit in that bucket. And then we've got vocabulary. So that language piece, reading fluency. So that involves our accuracy, our rate, and our expression while we're reading. And then the fifth being our reading comprehension. Mm. So there is a lot involved. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then if you think about it, on top of that, we need a lot of executive functioning skills to read. We need working memory, attention, and self-monitoring, just to name a few. So we've got tons of different layers here involved in A, learning how to read, but also B, you and I, when we're reading now, we do take a lot of it for granted, but we've we've read these words so many times and we're so good at mapping what the letter is to what the sound is that we have these words in what we call our sight word vocabulary. We can just read them really quickly. We don't have to sit there and slowly sound everything out because we've mapped that letter to sound so many times that our brain knows it. It's just in our sight vocabulary now. That's why you and I are such fast readers now. (laughs)
1: absolutely I mean it depends on the on the content material well that's true too and I think that you know we probably we could probably spend a whole other episode I would be really curious on your take on audiobooks
0: I love audiobooks
1: so much okay tell me so that's great I'm really happy to hear that you love audiobooks but I'm curious as a literacy expert tell me why you love audiobooks
0: oh I think they're fantastic in making books accessible a lot of the kids I work with, they don't like reading because it's really, really hard. And I'll tell a lot of my students now and my clients, why don't we try to check out the book and the audiobook from the library and you can read. We can, I love that you can slow down the audiobooks too, so they can slow them down. Yeah. Like we talked about on the last episode, we liked listening to those tapes yep. as a kid. Yep. This is kind of the new version of that. And it makes the reading accessible. They can now read those books that their friends at school are reading that they might feel is too difficult for them to try to, you know, sound out and work through it, especially names. And a lot of these different fiction and fantasy books can be very challenging.
1: Oh, that's a great point.
0: Audiobooks make that very accessible and it builds on that vocabulary and the language comprehension piece, because if we're limited to only reading words that we can sound out and we're a person with dyslexia who has to go through structured literacy instruction and might be older, but still learning some of these more foundational skills to really solidify their reading abilities, their vocabulary is going to be limited to what they can read. We don't want that. Wow. We want to expose them to audiobooks and those big, wonderful words so that when they come to the day that they can read it, they can decode it and they have it in their language language comprehension comprehension, so we can equal reading comprehension. Wow! So audiobooks are so good at building vocabulary, accessibility, all of it. I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I binge audiobooks. I recommend them. I love them.
1: I love hearing that. I really do. Brianna, if there's one thing you would want people to take away from our chat today, what is that one thing?
0: My one thing would be that Learning how to read is a complicated process and I think a lot of us take it for granted and it makes sense really when we consider all the things we've talked about. It makes sense why so many children struggle with learning how to read when they aren't given that explicit and systematic instruction that the research says is so important.
1: I love that. I want to wrap up with two questions. The first is I want you to imagine that I've built a time machine and I'm going to bring you on one of my first trips. And what I can program it is to the day after your grade two teacher said in your parent teacher review, Brianna can't read. What would you tell grade two Brianna?
0: I think I would just tell her that it's going to be okay, that you're going to learn how to read. You're actually going to end up loving reading and writing and that that moment, even though it feels really hard right now, is going to be A, something you're probably going to forget about for a while because it's just going to become a thing of the past. And then B, when you start to learn about literacy instruction, it'll just be incorporated into your origin story of how I learned to read, how I became interested in literacy and just kind of sharing that to different people have these different experiences and journeys with learning how to read. I think I would just want her to know that it'll all turn out okay. Mm.
1: Okay, so we had a really great visit with little baby Brianna, and we're going to hop back in my time machine, and I'm going to now go 20 years ahead in the future. And you're going to ring your doorbell and say, hi, it's me, Brianna, from 20 years ago. What do you think future Brianna will tell you? What would she want you to know?
0: Um, I hope that she... Wants me to know that I've been able to just help a lot of families and kids and I hope SLP Literacy Corners doing well and helping lots of educators. I just, I hope that Brianna of the future is helping lots of people. Really, I just, I'm that person that wants to help other people and serve other people. And I hope that's what I'm doing in the future.
1: I have no doubt of that. You've already helped a lot, a lot of people. If people want to connect with Brianna and they want to connect with you regarding speech therapy services, you can provide uh, support for pa- for residents of Ontario. Is that correct? Do you provide? Can you provide cross provincial support? No. Okay, explain that to the audience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I only have a license for Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. So I can provide virtual speech therapy services to anyone in Ontario.
1: And tell us a little bit more about where people can find you. Yeah,
0: so people can find me on Instagram and threads now, I guess, <laughs> at slp.literacy.corner. I also have a website, slpliteracycorner.ca or .com. It'll redirect you to the same place. Um, and on that website, you can find all of my contact information and blogs and my literacy resources, if anybody's interested in those.
1: Fantastic. Brianna, it was so awesome, so awesome chatting with you today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a
0: lot of fun. I love talking about literacy.
1: I loved learning about literacy, and I feel like I'm going to be even more grateful when I pick up my book before I go to bed tonight and I read my book and I think about all the ways that my brain is serving me, to enjoy books and to enjoy reading and I'm probably actually like I feel like a really like deep-seated sense of pride for my kids and when they pick up a book because they're a lot younger and smaller than I am and their brains are uh, really doing quite a lot when they learn how to Mm -hmm. read so I won't forget that thanks for being on the show
0: thanks for having me
1: everybody thank you for listening we know that your time and attention are precious and we appreciate you spending time with us today, Brianna and I. I can be found at medium.lady if you have any comments or thoughts and opinions about this episode. Uh, if you want to chat literacy with Brianna, again, you can find her on Instagram at slp.literacy.corner. Brianna and I both want you to know that you are doing such a good job wherever you are. We love you very much and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. Bye.